0: I belong to this international organization and you get once a month meeting, we all get together. And I've gotten frustrated because I go in there and everybody's just kinda scooting over the top of everything and we're sitting there nodding our heads like we know what they're talking about. There's no details to it. For me, it's $700 a month and it's hard to justify, you know? Uh, Honestly, I feel like that I've got 10 times more out of listening to your meetings. (laughs) waste the money if you're hiring somebody and you're not putting the time in to grow that person. Money, 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 money. Money. You need to have someone, especially if you've never done this before, you can't do it on your own. Oh my God, I've done 50 different things and nothing's going right. You got to attract people based off of you. You're selling yourself to them. If you can't do that, people aren't going to work for you. My name is Andrew Didier. I'm the owner of Agora Northwest out of, based out of Seattle, Washington. And we are a office coffee refreshment company. So we basically manage break rooms for companies in the Puget Sound area, Northwest. So all the way up to almost the border of Canada into the Portland, Oregon area. Did
1: you dream about this as you are a child? <laughs> this <or what>?
0: No, <laughs> this is actually the, I didn't even know this was a, a an industry when I was a, a child. I actually got out of college in 2007 and I was looking to get into commercial real estate and really not a great time to be looking into commercial real estate. It was kind of the, the beginning and height of the uh, correction we had in the market. Most of the commercial real estate companies that I was trying to interview with kind of laughed me out of the office. My dad at that time owned a copier company. So I went to work with a uh, the owner that he was the the previous owner and he was he was just transitioning out and he had just sold his company to another gentleman so I went to work for them for a couple of years it was a nice sales experience I got to learn how to be a salesperson and, and I actually got a lot from that and during that time I wasn't really happy with the commission structure that I was getting paid and me being a kind of a, a grinder sales guy my expectation was to be making more money so I went to my dad and was my dad had just sold his company and kind of got a little annoyed about the whole commission structure and situation. So he had actually told me about a water filtration company that was looking to recruit him to start a basically a dealership here in the, in the Puget Sound region. And we kind of went through the numbers and it, to me on paper, it seemed like a no brainer, which I would later find out that was a little, there's a little more to it, but basically it was a filtration company that you would put in a, a water filter cooler in an office that would replace a bottle delivery service so basically instead of having delivery guys drop off all these big five gallon bottles we would put in a plumbing and filtration system which essentially did the same thing that the bottle water cooler did but it offered other features to sanitize the water and and make sure that the water was clean and around 2007 people were looking for ways to cut budgets and save money we were like yeah let's do this this makes sense and the margins were good on it the revenue seemed pretty good on that i did however meet with my cousin who was a CPA at the time. And she was like, I just want to let you know what you're getting yourself into. This being a business owner is not easy. I was 25. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we got into it and uh, I quickly learned that that was true. So you went from the fax company and then you
1: and your dad kind of started? Yeah. Was it called Agora?
0: No, it was actually called Pure Water Technology
1: of Puget Sound. Okay. Puget Sound. So if people don't know where that is, can you tell us?
0: Yeah. Puget Sound region is basically the Seattle Northwest area. So the Puget Sound basically goes kind of the, the Seattle King County region of the Northwest. We were just kind of mainly in the Seattle area and then Bellevue, which is almost the same size of, as Seattle these days. So those two areas were kind of our bread and butter.
1: You hear about this but how do you actually get into it when you're going
0: from the fax machine or copier company to this? Oh, I didn't really know. <laughs> I just kind of did it. So, I went in one day and told my boss that I was quitting and starting a water company. How do you like that? He was not very happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> I was one of his top sales reps at the time too, so he was annoyed and thought my my father was stealing me away and also kind of laughing me out of the room thinking like you're gonna go sell water <laughs> we got out of that then we started looking for a space there was a lot of lease space available at that time also so we had no trouble doing that and then just kind of setting up finding a warehouse and then uh, looking for somebody that can basically install these things i'm not a very technical person i'm a sales guy at heart so i can't even change a tire on a car so I had to find somebody that could actually install them. And, and we did find a guy. Boeing was had just laid off quite a few people. So we were able to find a, a gentleman from Boeing with a, a really good technical background to help us in installing those. And I got a, a really brief sales training from the manufacturer and started cold calling and went after all of my old copier customers, started with them and, and then started kind of branching out. And basically day and night, I was cold calling from morning to afternoon and working on admin stuff in the evening. So it was 60, 70 hour days, 60, 70 hour work weeks.
1: Yeah, days would be kind of long. Yeah, that would be long. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it though. Yeah, uh, we, we need to learn some time management from you if you're doing to like, yeah, squeeze yeah. 60 hours out of 24 hours a day. <laughs> God, yeah,
0: we would have been doing pretty good. Why did you need to hire someone to
1: actually install them? Were they just doing it to the
0: waterline? Basically you take like a flex tubing and you connect it under a, a sink. There wasn't a lot to it, but if I had to really focus on growing business, because it was if you didn't have customers that month, you weren't making any money. So it was like, get a customer, get a customer, get a customer, then have myself either installing them or having a technician helping me install. And I, I really realized that my time was better well spent in the field trying to get new business than try to install these systems, because this guy could install five before I could figure out how to install one.
1: That makes sense because you're already at night, said you're
0: doing the other type of work. To, what, what type of work were you doing? Yeah, well, like administrative, Admin, yeah. looking at the books. And my father was more of a, an investor in this business. He was involved, but not, I think he kind of wanted to see me try it out on my own, which I didn't really appreciate at the time. But uh, looking back on it now, it was a good learning experience. So we basically had him installing those. In, and it really took about a month and a half for me to actually figure out a good talk track when calling customers or potential clients and having a really good rhythm. And then as I got into it, it, it kind of, okay, this works. This doesn't work.
1: Do you want to try one of those calls? Like what would it have been like if you called me up right now back then? How would you be selling me?
0: Hi, is Austin there? No, no I'm kidding. He's here. <laughs> <laughs> this is Hi, Austin. Uh, my name is Andrew Didier from uh, Pure Water Technology. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Great. The reason for my call is I actually stopped by your office last week and I understand you guys are using those big five-gallon bottle water coolers there at your office. Is that correct? Actually, yeah. Fantastic. Well, we actually help companies to eliminate the storage hassles and health issues of those big five-gallon bottle services. And I would love to get on your calendar for a quick five to 10 minutes to show you how we can be a benefit to your company. Are you available at Tuesday at 10 a.m.? Let me check.
1: I'm busy then. Can you do another time?
0: Uh, uh Yeah. How about Friday? What time? 11 a.m.? That works. Perfect. I'll see you then. 11 a.m. Sounds good. That was it. Right. <laughs> you just do it that over and over? Over and over and over again. Yeah.
1: Okay. The number one thing I've found through these interviews, you have to sell, right? And dealing with the rejection, yeah. was that ever difficult, especially if you're doing the calls?
0: If you've ever sold copiers, this was a breeze. <laughs> right. <laughs> the copier sales pitch was, when is your lease up? okay, another three years, okay, I'll call back in three years. Or they would just hang up on you. They're like, you're the fifth copier guy that's called me today. Calling on a service that not a lot of people were really selling or hawking, it was a lot easier. And the rejection, I I get rejected at the bar, I get rejected selling to people. So rejection is just kind of the name of the game. And you can't really take it personal, in my opinion. I don't have a scalable internet business. So your podcast, your guest that you interview resonates a lot more. And uh, You know, you interview them very well and uh, you're quite consistent. So, you know, I, when I'm going for a drive, that's what I listen to.
1: Well, yeah, like I said, I appreciate it. So you're in Dubai?
0: Yeah. So it's the capital of the UAE.
1: He actually was in the Middle East. Oh, wow. You know, I don't know if he invests at all, but at least he can definitely point you in the right way and understand the stuff that you have to deal with.
0: Yeah, oh, that'd be awesome. Okay, yeah, I'll reach out to him. So I helped, finally. Yeah, just talking to you has uh, helped uh, Help get my thinking going.
1: I'm feeling it. That's like this podcast for me is uh, getting people on with commercial real estate. To me, <laughs> the rejection I have to deal with, I mean, it's like 1% I get a chance to actually even talk to versus there's nothing comparatively. If someone says no to do a podcast interview, I'm like, nah, I'm really just trying to help people who are listening. So yeah, if you don't want to do that, that's fine. You know, I understand. Yeah. So. On to the next one. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it always ends up becoming a numbers game. Was there anything that would keep you motivated or tactics that you have for someone who's listening and needs to learn how to sell their product or their services?
0: Yeah, I would say being mentally tough is really important. It's really easy for your brain to tell you not to do something. And you really just got to fight that urge. It's even like cold calling, going into that, that last business of the day and be like, it's kind of far away. It's raining outside. I'm not going to go in there. But going in there could cost you $20,000. You just never know. Every opportunity, it is a numbers game and every salesperson will ask, what's the key to being a good salesperson?
1: What's the number one key? <laughs> I
0: was like, number one key is it's a numbers game. Right. If you're getting 50% of nothing, you're not going to make any money. So it's better to have 50% of 20 deals than 50% of five deals the more you call on, the more money you're going to make. And just to grind, especially in the beginning.
1: Yeah. So beginning days, were you working from an office? You said your dad was an investor in it. So was he there on a daily basis too? Was it just the two of you and the guy who was installing it?
0: Yep. Really in the beginning, he was just kind of a good soundboard to bump ideas off of. And he's basically retired. So he just sold his company. He made a a really good amount of money on it. But he's kind of one of those guys that always has to, to continue doing something else. He kind of just helped me along and, and directed me on hey do this don't do that that was really the the company dynamic until I actually was like okay I can't do this on my own I got to start learning on on how to hire people I learned to to get online and use these like monster.com and indeed eventually on how to find people and hire them
1: And can we go over that before we do really quick? Can you tell us where y'all are at today as far as like employee count and or sales so we get an idea?
0: We're at 21 employees now. We did 2.5 million in revenue last year. So we're expected to do about 4.4 million this year.
1: Obviously, yeah, that's tremendous growth. But let's jump back to that first hire. This is the part I really want to focus on for those people who are maybe freelancers or they're in your position, right? Their sales are finally doing well enough. They realize they have to make a hire. I think that's a big jump for any person. Yeah. So how about talking a little bit about that, if you don't mind?
0: Okay. Yeah, 2009. Hiring salespeople is kind of a different beast, in my opinion, than hiring an administrative person because you can look at what their accomplishments have been. And obviously you can do that in sales, especially with uh, experienced sales rep, reps, but a growing business, I'm really not going to find an experienced sales rep that will work for the money that I was wanting to pay them. So I looked to the younger generation, kids right out of college, just finding someone that's hungry, I think is the number one most important thing when finding a new salesperson and then molding them to the way that you want them to sell because they don't have any bad habits from previous experience. And then just working with them and training them because it's a waste of money if you're hiring somebody and you're not putting the time in to grow that person. They're eventually going to leave if you're not giving them the time to make them successful. Because really their success is your success. And if you're not willing to put in that time and that effort to make them successful, then you're, you might as well just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, did you figure that out the hard way? Mm-hmm. I made every mistake possible, I think, growing this business. But To me, they've all been just really good lessons and you learn something new every time you hire a new person. I think assessment tests are really good indications of personality and people can really interview well and then just be the complete disappointment when you put them out in the field and they're like, oh, I have no problem cold calling or I have no problem going out and taking rejection. And then you go out there with the first cold call and you take them up and they're like, I can't do this.
1: Talking about the first real hire that you made, I mean, are they still there? How'd that work out?
0: I have... (laughs) From the first hire, I have nobody working that first year that is, are still with me. I did find a friend of mine that actually came back to Seattle and he ended up working for me for about a year before he moved back down to LA. And he was actually a really good hire, <laughs> very hungry. He got some of our biggest accounts that we still have today. And it really just taught me that they don't have to be super polished just as long as they're super hungry. And he really was. And finding people that really just need money. If you find someone that's really got a... Uh, personal issue or they're they're newly divorced and they're financially unstable they need to have something to work for and then also looking to what their parents did what was their parents work ethic like because that usually tracks down to the offspring do you normally ask that in an interview? yeah i always ask where did you get your inspiration as far as your work ethic and what were your parents like with their jobs and usually you can kind of get an idea of that background. There's always exceptions to the rule, but I find that parents are a huge indicator of what their kids are going to be like when they grow up. And if they were raised poorly and have bad attitudes and were taught, if you don't get this, then you got to woes me basically. But if you're the type of person that has an issue and you're like, well, I'm going to figure a way to, to get around it and beat these challenges and, and bring myself up and not worry about what other people say, that's the kind of person I want to hire.
1: Yeah. And those are made for a reason, right? I mean, over time, you've just found out where generalities are made for a reason because it's it, our assumptions, right? They've earned it. It's fairly true. Yeah. <laughs> right. So you're just going with it. It's a numbers game again, right? Totally. Some,
0: <laughs> so. And my best sales rep was actually from a, he was working in a manufacturing facility, making under $2,000 a month, just really, really goal oriented. He has a, right now, he's got a picture of a Tesla on his his board. And he writes down every commission check he gets, and he just deducts it from how much money he needs to buy it. He wants to pay for it in cash. So that's the kind of guy that you know is going to just work their butts off.
1: What have you done to significantly grow the company over the years from when it was just originally you?
0: So the water service thing was a really good base. and It it was really good for cash flow because we leased our equipment. But what I was looking for is that reoccurring passive revenue. That's how you can really value a company. We didn't have that yet. And with the copier industry, we had the service revenue. And yeah, we had the filter changes, which was once a year on the water systems, but that wasn't substantial enough for me to leave for a weekend or go away for a week without having to just really grind and sell more equipment. So what we later found out is as we were doing this, that people had a coffee service and they were adding that to with their water filtration service. It was just kind of an all-in-one service. I was like, okay, Mr. Customer, what are you guys doing now for your coffee service? What don't you like about your coffee service? What would you like to change about your coffee service? Basically, just went into all of our water customers and asked them the same thing. Getting all that feedback kind of helped us develop a, a program. And then I would also just call people across the country that also had a coffee service and asked if I could quickly interview them just on things that have made them successful. And I was basically like, you know, I'm in a completely different market. I'm on the West Coast, so i am never planning on getting over there. Would you be willing to to just share some of your ideas with me? They were pretty forthcoming, which was great. It was super helpful.
1: And can you tell us some of the things that you learned by talking to them?
0: Yes. One of the things I learned is if you've got a really valuable service, you got to either pick one side or the other. You could be the discount service, which is really low service, really low price, high volume, or you can be that... Ad value type of company that's going to be that white glove service, a little bit higher price point. And that was the the one that really I gravitated towards. People just kept telling me, you know, this is a really cash-heavy business. So cash is king. Make sure you watch your cash, which I later found out is very, very true because what we were doing with our coffee equipment is putting it into an office. And then they were just buying the coffee from us. So they got the equipment for free. And they bought products and services from us, so there was a return on investment schedule that we would make. We were really, really aggressive about that. So,
1: what do you mean by the cash-heavy business? In, I mean, because you're putting up that much cash for the assets, the coffee things? Exactly. Yep. Okay.
0: So you're not. It, it's not like with the water systems, we lease that equipment. So you lease it, and then you get your cash all up front for the the term of the agreement with the coffee service. You're just dropping a piece of coffee equipment that could be anywhere from four hundred to five thousand dollars, and you had to have a certain amount of product and margin that you were getting each month to make that a worthwhile investment. It was almost like each customer was an investment.
1: Did you have to like raise some money in order to get that? What did you do when you talked to your dad
0: about this? I had to go tell my dad I needed more money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How did he take it? I mean, we went through the numbers. He's a scoop business guy. So he saw that this was the, the future of our company. So we did enter into a taking out a line of the credit for the business personally with him. And then he took on a, a larger share of the company. And now we're in a, which I'll fast forwarding to, but we're in a process of purchasing him out completely.
1: What would you consider a water business? Because you're saying that you're looking at the coffee more like high luxury, that part versus the lower end,
0: right? Yeah. I would say our water business was also pretty high high-end. It was a stainless steel technology-based unit. It was kind of a smart water filtration system and it looked really nice. It was stainless steel, so it wasn't plastic. And then it met a lot of our industry certifications for safety, electrical, which obviously has a higher price point to it.
1: Was there ever a time that when you're out of college, you're starting to do this? I mean, you're doing the copiers at first. You're just like, man, what am I doing? I'm selling water. You ever wanted to give up? Oh,
0: yeah. Can we hit
1: on a little bit of that?
0: I think that was probably my biggest frustration, at least in the first five years. It was embarrassing. (laughs) It was was embarrassing telling people, you know, you sell water services. My brother and sister made fun of me pretty much all the time on every family occasion. They were calling me the water boy.
1: Ah, (laughs) I did see the movie. I just imagine them cutting out a hole and putting your face in there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was... (laughs) It was it was like being in the locker room with your buddies and just getting made fun of. You got beat up and even like went on dates with girls and they asked you what you did for a living. It's like, uh, sell water equipment. I'm like, oh, cool.
1: That's why all the rejection happened at the bars.
0: Yeah, there's a little of that. <laughs> Wasn't a really sexy job. Right. Really? So that was the big frustration for me. And then just not making money. My dad would always say, you know, this is an investment. Don't look at this now. Look at what you're growing. And I was like, I don't really see what I'm growing because we're losing money left and right. So yeah, it was. It was. There's a lot of times where I wanted to quit. I had a girlfriend at the time too, so she was like, "Why don't we go on vacation?" and blah blah blah. And I was like, "I can't do it. Got to sell water. Yep. Got to go. Got to keep grinding." So that was probably one of the lower points I think in the first year or two. And then as I started hiring employees, it just got a, a lot more difficult and new challenges. Yes.
1: Sometimes, you know, you make that higher, you're like, okay, finally, you're like things are growing. I feel it's going to make life easier. But sometimes, you bring on the different challenges like you mentioned challenges you didn't even think of. So, how about talking about that? What made it difficult even though you seemed like you're finally growing? I think
0: the two of the biggest challenges is you know if you're not going to make a certain amount of money because you didn't sell enough to pay for bills or your equipment or whatever it was. But when you have payroll that you need to make for your employees, that puts a new added stress onto you. The other thing too is you know what you're capable of, but you're not always sure if people are going to work hard for you. And that buy-in, especially in the beginning stages, it's our office looked like if I walked in for an interview in my office, I would not take the job. And really, the way we were hiring people is just like, hey, this is your, this is what you can make. And as we got into it, it just became more and more difficult to hold people to being accountable, especially when I couldn't be there all the time. I was out selling a lot of the time and making people accountable for their job was tough to do both. So you're kind of just, pardon my French, half-assing um, several different positions.
1: You can use as much French as you want, but that's uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all good. But that's hard when you're trying to be the salesperson and trying to hire the salespeople and you tell them they can make this number, right? But then... yeah. Then they start not believing you, but maybe it's because they're not putting in the same effort that you are.
0: Exactly. You couldn't really track their activity because I didn't really have a a CRM system in place at that point. I couldn't be always going out to meetings with them. So they they just told me, oh, I have 10 meetings today and they had one meeting. It was really frustrating and and I felt like I was letting the the reps down as well because I wanted to be supportive of them. But at the same token, I knew I can make money by going out. Selling, even if they got into a, an opportunity, I still needed to go out and get other opportunities. So
1: That's a really difficult point in any business. When you're looking at salespeople, you you know you can bring in money if you keep doing it, but then you have those same people doing it there. So, I mean, how were you eventually able to get over it? Because I feel like, again, this happens to anyone who's in that kind of sales role, who's trying to hire the next salesperson and trying to keep them going because maybe they want some camaraderie and that's why they're joining you too and they're not quote unquote the entrepreneur, but they're still a salesperson. So they
0: kind of have that gene in you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. How were you able to get over that hurdle and get the right
0: people and get that going? It was just kind of, Pure luck. I actually had a, this college kid that came out, oh, well, he we just got out of college and he joined our organization and I hired him and he came in, actually hung over to the interview, but spoke really well, a funny guy. And I was just like. I could be friends with this guy. And that's one of the things that I look at is like, what I buy from this guy or this person. And I did, and we actually did end up becoming really good friends. I actually went to his wedding last weekend. He's obviously hasn't worked for us for several years, but he kind of got us going and he wasn't doing a 100% what I was doing, but he was a guy that I could not have to manage all the time. I think that was a, a breaking point for me because I was kind of just looking for someone to lean on a little bit you know, when you're, you're by yourself or with really nobody to, I don't know, just kind of complain to. <laughs> that was really what I wanted to do is just complain and scream. Basically, it was just a lot of frustration. I think what brought me to that next stage was finding a mentor and I can get into that a little bit farther down the road, but
1: yeah, no, no, no. let's go ahead and jump into it. Use some French. Let's talk about it.
0: Okay. I uh, joined in, ne- I was trying to network a lot, just Getting into some executive organizations and I met a, a gentleman named Ralph Prexis, which is a, he's a training consultant. He's been in the, the industry for years, over 50 years. I had those thoughts of, I wonder how much I can get for my business. I wonder if I sold next week, how much money I can get and just put it behind me. And then I started going to him once a month for two hours. He really helped me get back on track. And it was just like, stop feeling sorry for yourself and. You've got a good thing here. You're impressive. You can do as much as you want to do, or you can hinder yourself by complaining and, and whining about it. And we just kind of went over different business tactics, how to hire people, how to manage, asking me directly, do you want to be a manager? Or do you not? And it finally took myself to actually say, you know, I, I want to be a manager. I'm going to be all in on this and then started to do it. That's really kind of the turning point. And then that fifth year on, we really started growing the business.
1: So you may have heard that there are other entrepreneur groups out there that can help you feel a little less lonely. Ones like EO, Vistage, or YPO. But why join any of those when you can get all those benefits at a fraction of the price? How? Well, join our Patreon membership. You've heard from some of our members how much of a steal our Patreon membership is. So here's some cold, hard numbers for you. In year one, with EO, you're going to spend $4,900 bucks. For Vistage, you're paying $18,810 for your first year. And for YPO, you're shoveling out $7,050 for your very first year. For our gold Patreon membership, you're getting it at less than $30 a month. Let that sink in. Again... Our gold membership is less than 30 bucks a month compared to those other guys that cost 4,900 bucks, $18,810, and $7,050. So if you're on the fence, join today before I act like a smart businessman and I raise prices. Just go to millionaire interviews.com forward slash Patreon. Were talking about the networking events? Were you just doing that to try to find other people who owned their own businesses? Or was it also as, hey, maybe I can get some sales this way?
0: Initially, it was for the sales. I had a one-track mind to just get money, 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 just get as much revenue and And then I, I found this executive association. And what's it called? it's called the Seattle Executive Association which was basically all business owners and it was one of every industry so you had like an insurance guy and a lawyer and an accounting firm and i got a lot more out of it than i thought it was like business 101 i learned a lot in business school but once you have something to apply it to and relate it to it's a totally different story i would go out and interview these business owners and find out how they were successful even working with them, even making them a customer of ours. And we were a customer of theirs, like payroll, accounting, just bumping ideas off of people. And it it was a huge help.
1: When you're going to visit the guy once a month for two hours, I mean, was he just doing that for free? Was he a business coach?
0: It was a business coach. So I, w- I am paying for it. I'm still using them to this day. And it's been, I think I've been with them for four years or five years. So
1: yeah, we're kind of looking for tips and tools that maybe people could use who are listening, like those entrepreneurs who are in the same position that you were in. So you're saying that was a big changing. I mean, what other things did you learn from it? You're saying you really took off after you figured out you want to be a manager or not. Was, was there other things that you picked up through having a business
0: coach? I think you take on all this stuff and you're just like, let's just, it's me. I'm the only one that you really need someone else to help you. You can't do it alone. And they don't honestly have to be like a a business partner with you. But even a little bit of buy-in on your company, even if they're an outside external party, you need to have someone, especially if you've never done this before, you can't do it on your own. And I came to the realization of that. And it was really the frustration is I don't have anyone to lean on. I don't have anyone to bounce ideas off of. And yeah, my dad was definitely a huge help in, in a lot of that. But again, he was half retired. So he also wanted to see me work this out on my own. He started his business on, on his own as well. So I was going through a lot of the same things he was going through. That uh, I would say is the number one thing you need. Obviously, you need money. Number two, you definitely need someone that you can get learning instructions from as far as how to run a business, how to grow a business, how to manage people and how to attract people. I think that's the biggest thing. It was tough. You know, you're, you've got a really small company financially iffy and people can kind of see that by walking into your office. You got to attract people based off of you. It's you're selling yourself to them. If you can't do that, people aren't going to work for you.
1: And how do you track those type of people today?
0: We've actually got a really cool office now. We've got a really happy workforce. And I think when people come in, our culture makes it so people want to work here. Everyone gets along. We all have a good time, a lot of laughing. But at the end of the day, people are here to grow this business and people have buy-in. We really like to hire people from within and grow people's jobs and make this a career and not just a, a next stepping stone. Did you ever think you were going to be a culture guy? Man, I didn't even know what culture was five years ago. (laughs) It's all about the culture now. That's like one of our biggest things that we try to hit on every day now is now that we've got this base, now let's refine it and get those right people on the bus.
1: And I say that because I'm driven kind of like the way you are. And I think a lot of salespeople are right at the beginning. You're just hungry to make that money. You hope, I think you learn over time that not everyone's as driven, right? Yep. But then you're like, okay, well, if I get the right person, they'll hustle too. But then one number one thing, they don't teach you about culture at all in business school, right?
0: Yeah, not at all. And it's, it's kind of something that you got to dial in yourself. What I really realized is If you give people some autonomy and give them some direction, it's crazy what they can surprise you with. And if if those people are being micromanaged, it really doesn't give them really a motivation to work for something. But if they get to kind of see their work in action, it's crazy what they come back with and and how proud they are of what they've accomplished.
1: Can you tell us a difference from the beginning when maybe you would have hired someone and how the culture would have been versus today? You hiring a salesperson in the culture?
0: I think a lot of the same principles remain as far as what we look for out of character. But I guess a training process. Oh, yeah. The training process is huge now. It's I don't let people go to a meeting without myself or one of our experienced reps until they feel comfortable that they can do it on their own. We do a lot of role playing, weekly role playing with the new reps.
1: We're talking about business role playing, not sexual, Correct. right? Yeah, exactly. Right, just making I, sure. I don't think I don't think I'd be here right now. Uh, some... I didn't know what type of culture. It's not a good good culture.
0: <laughs> it's not a a, a madman environment here, unfortunately. But yeah, doing like sales role playing, even administrative role playing, like with the uh, answering the phone, cross training people. If someone's on vacation, who's going to fill in? We really tried to make it a, a well oiled machine, and then really making people accountable if. At the end of the day, the customer always is the number one priority. And if that isn't being met, we gotta find out where that's fallen off. And whoever is the responsible party has to come up with a solution for it. Then they're checked and rechecked and found accountable for it.
1: If you had to go back and like tell yourself right when you're starting the company, what advice or wisdom would you
0: give yourself before starting a company?
1: Yeah. Like for you personally, like looking back, you know, when you started month one, what you know now versus what you didn't know. What's kind of the most important things you've learned?
0: Go with your instincts, I would say. And if you're onto something and you have a really good idea and you know it's a winner, you're going to have those rough days for sure. And you're going to have those rough years. But if you stick with it, it's going to pay off. And it, it's most businesses fail before their fifth year. If you can stick around for five years and you guys are constantly doing things the right way and growing it, you got to continue it. Because the not knowing what could have been is, is way worse than failing. And at 25, I mean, you fail. Who cares? <laughs> you're 25 years old. Who cares? If you're 50 or 60 and you're failing and you were losing everything, I mean, my net worth at 25 was zilch. So the only thing I was letting down is my, my father's couple hundred K that he had lent me, which I probably could have made up in a, another position. <laughs> but yeah, that would, that would be my biggest thing is be mentally tough.
1: And looking back personally, I mean, how were you able to get through some of those things?
0: You know, when you wanted to quit, you kind of just got to take a breather. I have definitely my meltdowns. I would actually melt down with my dad and he'd be like, dude, I've done this a lot of years and I've done this many, many times. You just need to take a chill pill and then come back when you're ready. There was days where it was just like, oh my God, I've done 50 different things and nothing's going right. And then the next day is a new day. So And that's still an ongoing thing. I mean, I still have my days where I'm just like, come on, you guys, let's get it together. It's not as tough anymore because I have a really good team. In the early days, I didn't. So everything comes, but just like in sales, if if sales was an easy position, everyone would do it. So nothing good.
1: What's your biggest challenge personally or business-wise that's holding you back from growing even more?
0: I don't think we have anything really holding us back right now. I think just manpower and, and hiring more of the right people and continue this momentum. We have growth plans in the next couple months to grow into another market. And we're we're really just switching over all of our, our technology based software. So we were all a lot of our, our routing and everything was done paper based, which is really slow and it's not automated. Everything is done manually. So we should, by the end of this month, have our, our new software up and running, and that's going to automate, pretty much make our whole inventory system automated, which is huge in our industry.
1: And speaking about that, I think you mentioned looking for any software or any, anything like that, what that might've helped you grow your business. And I think you said something about par level.
0: Yeah, this, which is the software we're starting to use right now, which basically makes mini warehouses in our trucks and we have barcoding systems. So everything will just be taken out of inventory straight from the customer's office where we would have to wait till the paper documents the route tickets would come back to our office then our route people would have to enter it in manually what did they deliver and then they would have to count back how much stuff was left in the truck and then they would have to recount it for the next day so all that's going to be automated I'll know exactly how much stuff is in our truck just because everything's off barcodes and everything goes automatically into the system so we won't have to count back things And I think it's just going to change the way we do business
1: and how are you to find out about them?
0: I go to a lot of industry trade shows and I didn't really realize how valuable these were. I wish I actually went to more of them when I was just getting started. But you learn a lot. And there's this is a really a secret industry. that I, I mean, you go and get your coffee in the morning, you go to the break room. The last thing you think about is, oh, where did this coffee brewer come from? Or same thing with a copier machine. You go make your coffee and you're like, okay, I've got my prints. I'm going to just take it back to my desk. But you don't really realize where is this coming from? And there's a multi-billion dollar industry in uh, the refreshment segment. A lot of stuff to be learned at these trade shows.
1: What's your day-to-day life if you're looking at it daily or weekly as far as what you do now versus what you used to do?
0: I'm still managing the sales team. I'm not doing a lot of client-facing stuff anymore, which I kind of miss. And then I have meetings with my CFO and just ways to grow the business, operational issues, operational solutions... And then kind of working on building up into this this other market. I meet with our vendors and, and go over with getting new deals on products if we need certain volume marks to get price discounts. It's a little different. And then I, I throw a little golf in between, which is very lovely.
1: Well, if someone wants to say thank you for doing the interview, what's the best way for them to reach you? If
0: they want to reach me, they can shoot me an email. I can be easily reached at at apdidier.agorawa.com, which is A-P-D-I-D-I-E-R at A-G-O-R-A-W-A.com.
1: Any last words of wisdom for any entrepreneurs who are listening?
0: Don't give up. It'll come. Good things come to those who wait and work hard. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Austin. I appreciate the call.
1: Are you looking for more product-based interviews? Well, don't worry, mother effer. I got you. Here's five awesome suggestions just for you. Try episode 135, with Jim Kalb of Optifuse, or an old favorite, episode 24 with Starfire Direct. Another one, try episode 127, that's 127, with Doug Booten, the founder of Halo Top Ice Cream, which I'm sure you've seen in your local supermarket. Another oldie but goodie, episode 34, with Don DiCostenza of Pedego Electric Bikes. And last but not least, the touching story, in episode 98 with Anne Head. And hey, while you're exploring our awesome back catalog of episodes, why don't you consider becoming a Patreon member? We've got secret Patreon episodes. In the product industry, like Patreon episode number 29, where I interviewed the founder of Fatheads, or Patreon Episode 3, where I talked with Rick Martinez, about succeeding in the cannabis industry. Just check your notes below on how to get these secret episodes right now.